Hello, listeners, and welcome to our interview segment of Down the Middle. With the RNC officially underway, we have a very special guest this week. Mr. Paris Denard is a longtime GOP political commentator, writer, consultant, and strategist. A regular face on television programs and news channels such as BBC, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and many more. His opinion editorial writings can be found in publications like The Daily Caller, The Hill, The Washington Examiner, and he's been featured in publications including USA Today, The Washington Post, AZ Republic, and The LA Times. Paris worked in the White House for President George W. Bush from 2005 to 2009, serving in the offices of political affairs, legislative affairs, and public liaison. Most notably, he served as the White House Director of Black Outreach, where he was the liaison to the Black American community. He also coordinated and managed White House events, meetings, and travel for President Bush, the First Lady, and members of the United States House of Representatives, and was the primary point of contact to the families of the former presidents and vice presidents for the state funeral of President Gerald R. Ford. Paris served in roles such as the Associate Director for Coalitions at the Republican National Committee from 2009 to 2011, and Director of Events at the McCain Institute under longtime former U.S. Senator John McCain. He is currently the Senior Communications Advisor for Black Media Affairs at the Republican National Committee for the 2020 election cycle. Paris has attended every Republican National Convention since the year 2000, including the 2004 RNC in his native Phoenix, Arizona, where he met my wife and fellow conservative Arizonian, Tiffany. They actually both went on to attend Pepperdine University in Malibu, California, where Paris earned degrees in public relations and political science, and he and my wife actually had a political radio debate show called Making Waves, under the tutelage of former NBC West Coast President Don Olmeyer. He currently serves as member of the Donald J. Trump for President, Inc. Advisory Board, Black Voices for Trump Advisory Board, and was appointed by President Trump to serve as a commissioner for the President's Commission on White House Fellowships in 2018. He's a friend of my brother's, he's a friend of mine, he's a friend of my family's, and of my wife. We love him. And here's our interview with Mr. Paris Denard. So please welcome my wonderful friend, Paris Denard, to the pod. Welcome, Paris. Thanks for being here with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So let's dive right in. Um, first, please tell us how you came to the Republican Party and what's kept you there. Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here with you, uh, Justin, and, and with Rob. I have been a Republican since uh, I was in high school, um, and I was the, at the time, uh, really involved in student government at my uh, high school in Phoenix, Arizona. And this guy that was there named Augie was the student body president at the time, and he invited me to go to a teenage Republican convention. And he said that he thought that I would be, uh, he thought that I would like the convention. And um, I said, well, Augie, I don't think I should go because I'm not, I don't even know the difference between the two parties. I don't know the difference between Democrat or Republican. He goes, it's fine, just come. He goes, and I think, so I get there and he goes, I think you should run for office. I said, Augie, I, I don't even know if I'm Republican or not. He goes, it's fine, give a speech, they'll love you and you'll win. So uh, like day, I guess, two or three, um, I went up and gave a speech. They loved me and I won. And so that night I became the Arizona Teenage Republican State Corresponding Secretary. Wow. In the hotel room, Augie said, we got to find out if you're Republican or not. I said, yeah, that might be a good idea. And so he went through, there was this little palm card and he went through just asking me the questions on, on the card to see uh, if my it was something like Republicans, you know, as Republicans, we believe. And then he just asked, do you believe? And, and all of my gut responses 
lined up with the Republican Party. He said, well, looks like you're a Republican. I said, well, good. So let's go. And I have been a Republican active in the party on the state and uh, obviously the national level uh, since then, since about the age of, I would say, 16 years old. Wow, incredible. Thank you. So those that have seen you on your numerous television, on uh, ongoing television appearances and on social media, they know of your credentials and they know of your great support for President Trump. Yeah. What are your main talking points in regard to convincing more of the African-American community to back the president's agenda? You know, I don't really, really, I don't really have talking points. I just point to his record. Uh, for me, the, the record speaks for itself. There's not really much I have to say or need to say because in order, uh, in terms of talking points, I just point to the fact that when it came to the president keeping his word to the Black community, he did it. When you look at the issues of education, supporting school choice and charter schools, the Black community overwhelmingly supports school choice, overwhelmingly supports charter schools, and not just the Black community, quite frankly. Polls show that Black, white, Hispanic, old, young, uh, North, East, West, South, college-educated, uneducated, all age groups, all Democrat and Republican, uh, support uh, school choice. And President Trump is, supports charter schools, which are wildly popular for good reason in the Black community. When it comes to the you know historically Black colleges and universities, HBCUs, his support has been unprecedented and it's been significant, not just wiping out the debt of the schools that were impacted by Hurricane Katrina. So you say, wait a minute, you're talking about Hurricane Katrina? Yes, Hurricane Katrina. Since then, they've been trying to get the debt relief from those schools in, in, in that region. And it only happened under President Trump's time in office. Uh, he's secured uh, more funding than asked in terms of and supported them to have more funding than was requested in the Future Act, which was for the first time in history, gave HBCUs permanent funding for Title III Part F. And so this president has been a champion for the Black community in terms of jobs and in, uh, employment. We've seen historic lows in, un in unemployment. And even in the crisis of COVID-19, which is a global pandemic, as you know, we've seen a couple of months straight now the, the descending uh, numbers for Black unemployment, which is a good thing that even during COVID-19, uh, the, the unemployment numbers for the Black community continues to, to go down. So there, there, it's the president's record that I point to. And then during the campaign season, which we're in, I point to not only his record, but the record that of the other person running on the Democrat side, which is Joe Biden, and his record is just horrible. Well, what would you say to somebody who said that, you know, when the unemployment rate goes down, generally, it goes down for everyone? And can we say specifically anything that Trump has done to help the African-American community specifically with unemployment versus just everyone as a whole? You know, unemployment went down for everyone. So what would you say to that? Well, Rob, I say thank you. That's a great talking point I should add to my repertoire because it's true. The unemployment has gone down for everyone. That just shows that the president's policies are working for everyone and not just, as, as the, some people say, just the rich or just this group or just that group. It is, it's an inclusive economy. Uh, but I will tell you, keeping taxes low, the Tax Cups and Jobs Act specifically, you know, there are things that you can do that can have targeted relief just for certain groups. But what we're seeing is that the president's philosophy with working with in concert with the Republicans is to make sure that everyone gets relief, including the black community. When you look at his his support for uh, licensure 
changes uh, in terms of mobility, especially when it comes to mobility and making it easier for people and to remove the regulatory burden and the financial burden for a lot of small business owners uh, that have to keep going and get more licenses. So if I move to this city or that state or this county, the burden that it, that comes from uh, having to pay more, 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 more money. Uh, and we know uh, m- many Black people are uh, entrepreneurial. And the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs and small business owners are Black women. And so that uh, emphasis that he did early on in the in the in his in the administration, in addition to the tax cuts, which led to opportunity zones, uh, show that the president's policies are working for everyone, but it, that they are having a positive impact on the black community as well. Okay, so I have uh, I have a big question here, and uh, bear with me because there's a little bit of uh, preface here. So I'll take a minute before I actually get to the question. But uh, the, you know, the main critique we hear from uh, conservatives regarding Trump, from conservatives regarding Trump's presidency, is that they don't like his rhetoric or that they wish he didn't tweet as much or go out of his way to be divisive. So a lot of these same conservatives, however, will point to his legislative record and admit that they were pleasantly surprised by how much he was able to accomplish for the Republican agenda. You know, a lot of, of right-wing political commentators will say that despite his rhetoric, he's actually governed like any classic conservative would have outside of a few outlier examples like his love for trade wars, you know, which a lot of conservatives have a hard time getting behind. With that said, it's hard to argue that this at at this point that Donald Trump hasn't been a divisive president, right? It it is my contention that a lot of the civil unrest that we're seeing throughout the nation is a direct response to the fact that Donald Trump wakes up every morning and just exists. So in other words, his embrace of overtly right-wing politics and lack of any attempt whatsoever to unite the country is very palpable, at least to me. The question to you is this, if his legislative record has been largely part of what any Republican's agenda would have included, including tax cuts, conservative judges, eliminating regulation, et cetera, wouldn't a less divisive Republican like Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio have been just as effective legislatively, but without all the divisiveness and civil unrest? Yeah, well, of course, I disagree with your preface, but I will I will say, I mean, I think it's pretty harsh to say just because the president lives, there's civil unrest, or because he breathes, there's civil unrest. I mean, I kind of think that, you know, the murder of George Floyd kind of contributed to some of the civil unrest and the lack of Democrats uh, and the local level getting control of these cities to allow them and black communities to be burning to the ground, to allow for uh, black people, black children to be you know, literally shot in the face. You know, I mean, these things are happening under Democrat control, which are outside of the fact that Donald Trump woke up this morning. Besides the the George Floyd thing, even before that, there was you, you can't deny that John, Donald Trump has there's something about him that triggers the left. I mean, for sure, more than any other Republican president has. Would you agree with that? Sure. I think right. it's because because Donald Trump is 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 not like any other candidate or president we ever had we've ever had because he's tremendously independent he is he he does not he did not come out of the traditional way of 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 running for office he wasn't a governor or a senator or a congressman or a city councilman or a state representative he was a businessman uh, and he was and he was successful at his job and he ran for politics one time. And it was for president of the United States. And he not only beat the political dynasty on the left, the Clintons, he beat the political dynasty on the right, meaning the Bushes. And then every other Republican who had 
all of the so-called credentials that they wanted. So yeah, he triggers people because I think a lot of them are jealous. I think the reason why John Kasich is speaking at the DNC is because he's just jealous and petty. I think the reason why Jeb Bush and others don't like him is because they lost to him. But I think if Jeb Bush and other, uh, and, and, and I respect the Bush, I worked for his, you know, his, his brother for four years, but I think that if these, conser- these right-wing uh, conservative establishment types were objective and fair, they would be supporting the president because they would love to have his record. And I and no, I disagree. I don't think that Marco Rubio or Jeb Bush or John Kasich or uh, Ted Cruz or anyone else could have done what President Trump has done because if they were able to do so, they would have been president. You see, remember, they lost. Remember, they had their time to make their case to the establishment, make their case to the base, make their case to everyone, and they, it was all rejected. And I think the reason why you haven't, you and, and all of these guys who've been in there for so long in Congress or a, as governors, the things that they could have done weren't done. And right. the things that got done got done because of Donald Trump's leadership, Donald Trump's bluntness, Donald Trump's forthrightness. He said, I don't like these trade deals. They all suck. So let's fix them. I'm either going to undo them or get a better one. So NAFTA, gone. Where do we get US, USMCA in the middle of him building a wall with Mexico, having, as you say, trade wars and tariffs and stuff? He still brokers a deal with China, a trade deal with China and a trade deal with the United States and Mexico, which they all, and they were so impressed. They gave Jared Kushner, who led the, the negotiations, the highest civilian honor that you can give an American that you can give an American. They gave it to Jared Kushner. So I I think, no, President Trump is uniquely qualified for this moment, uniquely qualified to lead the way he is and to get things done the way he's getting things done. And these others could not do it. And I think that's what drives the Trump derangement syndrome. That's what drives the jealousy because they don't understand how this guy can just burst on the scene and be so successful and be so conservative. So the one point in your preface I will agree with was, yes, he has actually governed as a true conservative. The justices that he has put on the Supreme Court, the judges that he has put pointed to lifetime appointments, over 200 and something of them, you know, and him being the most pro-life president that we've ever seen. No other president has spoken at the at the right right to life rally. I mean, this this president, the deregulation, the things that he's done for the economy, he has led as a true conservative. And I think that also boggles the mind for the, the establishment types because they don't understand how he can do this and still pass something like criminal justice reform out of left field, which wasn't even something that he campaigned on, and then become a champion for HBCUs. <laughs> it's just like, who is this guy? How does he do it? I think it's because he's uniquely qualified. Just to interject for a second, you uh, worked in the George W. Bush administration, so you know it well. During his first term, he had a similar approval rating to Trump's, which I think points to the fact that the left just doesn't like Republicans, which we already know this, okay? (laughs) But but after 9-11, his approval rating went up to 90%, which I can't even, I can't wrap my head around any president nowadays having a 90% approval rating. And I think that points to the fact that Bush had a unique ability to get everyone on the same page, to do that sort of rally around the flag moment for at least a moment in time, get everyone thinking the same. Whereas with COVID, which is the next big American crisis, we've seen Trump's approval rating go down. So there's clearly something about the guy that doesn't unite the sides. And maybe that's what a lot of Republicans want. But is it hard to argue that he's a divisive figure? 
I think if your audience has to be given the whole picture about what you described with George W. Bush, because you remember there there might have been that time when he had that 90% approval after 9-11, but, but, but his decision to continue on going into the war in Iraq saw those, that, those gains and that unity go away. Oh, absolutely. But, but in his mind, he was doing the right thing for the country. He was doing the right thing, and he was uniting us in the fight against the global war on terror. So there, yes, we had that moment. Um, and I think like President Trump, during the coronavirus in the early days, there was a moment when President Trump's poll numbers were going up, that they felt that he was uh, leading well. But I think that in combination with the way the fickle, na- the fickle nature of the media and of the American people, they get tired. You want a scapegoat. You want somebody to poke, their, to poke, poke your finger at and get upset with. I believe that the president has shown himself to be someone who wants to unify the, the country. He wants to unify the country around some common goals, which are making the country great, putting America first, not forgetting the forgotten men and women of this country, uh, supporting things that are good for the the entire country and, and the working men and women of this country. And I think that if you listen to his speech that he gave in Florida uh, after the NASA launch uh, in response to George Floyd, when he talked about healing and bringing people together, it, it was a powerful speech. Now, to be truthful, CNN and MSNBC were giving a heads up that the president was going to talk about George Floyd and reuniting the country at length at this speech and that they should cover it live. They both opted out of it. So I think that one of the things that we have to understand is that this president, what makes him different is that he has an almost unified Democrat, radical Democrat, I would say, because it's not even the Democrat Party. Uh, four years ago. They're so radicalized, in my opinion. But this radical Democrat party, coupled with this media who has an agenda and a false narrative to simply report on the negative. So anything that he does or says, they're going to put it as a negative and then insert race in everything to, to fan racial flames and tensions. And so I think that that is one of the reasons why uh, you see poll numbers the way they are, and the in the thought that this president is not one that is uniting the country. Uh, I think if he was given a fair shot, and if they treated him the way they treated past presidents that did these things, you would see more unity. But yeah. you still, but you still have people uh, reciting the char- Joe Biden in his speech lied about the Charlottesville and and what the president said and did not say. Still, three years later, still saying the same lie. So how can you how can you unite the country if Joe Biden and the media are still saying the president said something that he did not say? I I don't know how you get around that. So uh, I have made the argument for a long time, even as a liberal myself, that the African-American community and in fact, all minority communities need to rethink their allegiance to the Democratic Party. Assuming you agree that this is a correct assessment, which I assume you do, uh, what would be some of the reasons you think the Democrats have failed? these communities in particular? Just look at Chicago, New York, Atlanta, Los Angeles. I mean, you you name a big city right now, Minneapolis, that is literally b- burning, rioting, looting, deaths. Uh, I mean, the, look who's running the city. Look, look who's running it. Um, local governments actually matter. Uh, look who's running or the ne- Never before. We see it in LA. 
uh, even before all the crisis was going on, the number of homeless that has increased and yeah. a lot of the issues inside Los Angeles, uh, it's never been more prevalent how important local legislation and government is now. I agree with that completely. County commissioners, school boards, the zoning commission, all of these things are very, very important. And a lot of these big urban cities are run by Democrats. And so if you're looking at the civil unrest right now, if you're looking at uh, the, the poor schools, if, the poor performing schools, uh, a lot of those are in uh, areas run by Democrats. And I think that minorities should just stop and say, everything is not the president's fault, whoever the president is. A lot of it is at the local level. So who are the people that are running my government? Who are the people that are making the decisions for my family, the tax increases in, in my community? Who are they? And I think a lot of them will, will see that it's under the control of Democrats. And so I think that is what I point to. If you are upset about the condition of the roads, the condition of the schools, the condition of the hospitals, conditions of things in your local community, I ask who's running it and how long they've been running it. And it might be the time to give the Republican Party a first look or the president a second look and, and try something different. That's why he said, what do you have? To, what do you have to lose? Don't you think that it's also that Democrats tend to run cities that have just a higher uh, poverty rate than in suburbs where there might be more Republicans? So poverty breeds criminality. Poverty breeds all of these things that that are negative that you're attributing to to the Democratic governance when it might not, it, it could just be coincidence that in their cities, there happens to be more poverty. Poverty leads to all of this civil unrest as we've seen throughout history. Um, how would a Republican get, uh, what would a Republican governed city do, di uh, you know, have different? Uh, reduce taxes, that for one, make it so that you have an environment where you can have more school choice, to, and have more accountability, not to teachers' unions, but to the parents to choose and give more power to the to the families to decide and not to the union bosses who control things. Uh, when it comes to the allocation of resources, not giving your resources to illegal immigrants who don't who who are not supposed to be here, who are breaking the law by being here, hence the reason why they're called illegal. And so you give the money to illegal immigrants, when you could be giving funds and resources to poor Americans who need it. Right. But isn't one of the big arguments that a lot of the minority communities have stayed in the position they've stayed in because simply because all of the money that they receive from the government, rather than being incentivized to get jobs and, you know, Republicans have, have been saying that for decades now, haven't they? Uh, yeah, that's why I think that when you, when instead of, instead of having these liberals propose things like a mandatory minimum wage and not letting the free market decide, right? because what, because what that does is if you, t if you mandate, if I'm a small business owner and you mandate on me to have a, a minimum wage amount and, and my business cannot support that, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fire people. I'm going to let them go because I can't afford them. So you might as well figure out a way to increase your business, do something creative, but keep people employed. And when you can raise the raise their wages or give them a bonus or create other incentives or, or things to keep them there, do that. Let the market decide. So, yeah. so no, no, yeah, I agree I, with that. Yeah. So I agree that uh, Republicans, conservatives, 
on the whole, do not agree with this throwing money at people. But I think in a time of crisis, Governor Gavin Newsom, namely, the last thing we need to be doing is giving money to illegal immigrants when Americans could, could, could use it. Nor do I believe the best thing to do is take away funding from police when those same impoverished communities that you named yeah. before mm. actually need it. And that's why I point to the difference of what President Trump and Republicans are saying and what a lot of these Democrat-controlled cities are doing and city councils or mayors are doing to defund the police. When you dial 911, you have a reasonable expectation to believe that they're going to come and protect you and serve you. And that's why you saw polls that say that Black people in particular want to have either us the same amount of police presence or more police presence. Now, there's still a distrust with the police, but they want to be safe and secure. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with that. You know, the education piece to this is incredibly important. We've talked about it on the show here before, Uh, you know, the way out of poverty is education. So I definitely agree with you there. Final question. uh, What has been your favorite position you've held in D.C.? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I I will tell you this. There is nothing like working at at the White House. I don't I don't care what administration is. It is a tremendous honor. If President Obama had invited me to the White House during those eight years, I would have gone because it's it's an honor to be invited by the President of the United States. Of course, he didn't do that. And I don't know why, but um, <laughs> it, it is a tremendous honor. So to have the ability to really represent the, the president and to work on behalf of the American people and really see uh, the impact that you can have through the, the, the sphere of influence that you are, are, are given at such a young age was a com- an incredible honor. Uh, if I work for another White House or another administration, that would, be, that would be great. But that was my first job out of college. And that's just something that you could never repeat and, and, and do over with the people that I met and, and worked with and the things we were trying to do. And to, to, for me to have that as my first experience, I think that has been the most fun. Uh, now, I would say the most fun I've ever had politically is, man, the 2016 election, this right now, this, this is so much. I mean, the fact that Donald Trump is our president is amazing. I grew up watching The Apprentice. Like, I w- I'm a fan. I was a fan. Uh, and then to know that he's actually doing good things for the nation as a, 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 a governing, and for me to be a part of this political process and help engage officially with the campaign, the Republican National Committee, and then have Donald Trump and his family uh, know me and recognize the work that I'm doing to help him. I mean, it's it's a trem- this is fun. Like this is li- talking to Justin and Rob, you know, things like this, these <laughs> two podcasts. I mean, th- this 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 is what is really fun. So the the Bush years working there at the White House was like the best experience because of the, the, the what it was and the time yeah. that it was. But I'm having the most fun in these these this 2016 and 2020 election. So is Trump going to win in, in, in uh, 2020? No, no doubt about it. No doubt about it, he's going to win. And, and when he does, uh, you know, drinks are on me, guys. <laughs> Let's go. Trump Hotel, Washington, D.C. Trump Hotel. Right Rob, you got to well, come out. Will we be able to get drinks at that point? Who knows? Well, we might still be outside. Yeah, there, we could do we could do social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just say this before I before I go. It yeah. is very important that we have this dialogue. You know, Rob is a hundred percent wrong in everything that he says that goes against the president. We know that. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of joking, but the, but we have to have these conversations because this election is going to be won by the conversations we have with our friends, our family, our co-workers, and the oh, people sure. that we love and that we trust. And we should have these conversations. We should be asked the tough questions. You should ask me the tough questions, and I should be able to ask Rob and, and, Joe B- and, and people that are Joe Biden supporters about his record, because we deserve to have the facts. 
we deserve because we're smart and we, we shouldn't be taken advantage of by either party. And right. so we can have the left you know, and the right, be, be, be it conservative or moderate, come together and say, let's just talk about this stuff. Let's work it out. Let's just have honest conversation. Let's have a dialogue. That is how we move the nation forward. So Rob was asking about unity. This helps unify us because mm-hmm. I understand where Justin comes from. I see where Rob comes from and, and you all aren't demonizing me and questioning my blackness and I'm not questioning your, your patriotism. Mm-hmm. Yep. I understand that you all are on both sides trying to be in the middle. Yep. And I think that's where a lot of people are. I think most people are in the middle. They're independent-minded, free-thinking people who don't want to be affiliated with either party. They just want action. They just want change. They just want truth. And they just want facts. And they want good governance. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people are. And I think that's why this podcast is so very important. And I appreciate you giving this right-wing Trump supporting <laughs> guy an opportunity to be on the show. It could be the last time it happens, depending on I, the blowback I get. No, no. <laughs> no way. No Justin's way. better half is one of my longest, closest friends. So that I, I, I have a sort of like a, a my, my, my Tiffany Trump card, if you will. Yeah, yeah you get to come on anytime you want, Paris. I, I just want to say one more thing, Paris. That, you yeah. know, the reason we started this podcast was really precisely for what you just said, that we think the public is smart enough to make their own decisions about 100%. what they believe. So we want to give everyone a voice, everyone, conservatives, liberals, libertarians, independents, let them, as long as it's fact-based, right. come on the show, tell, tell your story, tell your opinion, say what you believe, and let the viewer decide where they where they like because that's what I, I was a, a registered Democrat until I really started doing the research myself and there were a lot of things that bothered me about the Democratic Party and I left the party and re-registered as an independent so yeah. there you go well you guys thanks for having me on the show if there's others that you want to get on that are more important and more fascinating than me let me know I'm going to hear to help because I think what you all are doing is fantastic and I appreciate the opportunity Thank Excellent. you so much, really Paris. Uh, real quick, where can we find you on social and what do you have coming up we can look for? Yeah, so on Wednesday uh, of this this of this month, uh, that's the 19th, I'm going to be hosting one of the uh, Black Voices for Trump Real Talk online uh, through the campaign. I'll be doing that at 8 o'clock on Wednesday. And um, I'm going to be um, doing some uh, commentary at the DNC on the Trump campaign website. So just look out for that, I think, Thursday evening. And then, of course, every day I'm on Twitter at Paris Denard, P-A-R-I-S-D-E-N-N-A-R-D. And uh, on Instagram, you can find me at Real Paris Denard. And so, you know, those are the two best places for social. And then my website, parisdenard.com, you can find all some uh, ar- the archives, the, the good old days, and good stuff that Excellent. I talked to. Amazing. Thank you, friend. So great Thanks to have again, you on here. Great and we look forward to having you back. Yeah, certainly will. Thanks, guys. All right. That does it for this week's interview segment. Don't forget to go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us. If you send us questions, we'll answer them on the air. Follow us on social media at Down the Middle Podcast on Instagram, at Down the Middle PC on Twitter, and at Down the Middle Pod on Facebook. If that's all too confusing for you, just go to our website and they're all there. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Visit our Discord, mix it up with us. Let's talk politics. We'll uh, answer those questions on the air as well. We want to talk to you guys about what's going on in the world and buy some merch. Wow, your friends by promoting moderate change incrementally. The link is in our bio on all of our socials. So thanks guys for joining us once again, and we'll see you uh, later this week for our next episode. It's going to be a good one. All right. Take care guys. Bye.